Welcome to Myelopathy Matters, the official podcast for the charity myelopathy.org. Where we talk all things cervical myelopathy from the perspective of the professionals, the researchers and the people living with myelopathy. In this special behind the scenes episode, we'll be hearing about the management, strategy and knowledge translation of the AO Spine Recode DCM study. We will hear from Alessia Hartzenbiller, the AO Spine Research Project Manager, and Kaya Kirki Suonio, an AO Spine Community Development Project Manager, as well as Lisa Peterman, Consultant in Project Management and Knowledge Transfer. My name is Dr. Benjamin Davies, neurosurgeon, scientist, and founder of myelopathy.org. And my name is Dr. Michelle Starkey, scientist and director of myelopathy.org. This is the Myelopathy Matters podcast from myelopathy.org. So we've come to the end of our special podcast series covering the top 10 research priorities that emerged from the AOSpine Recode DCM research prioritization setting process. Ben, I was wondering if you could give us a reminder of what AOSpine Recode DCM actually is. Well, the project is ongoing and it's really working to bring together people living and also working with the condition to provide some key guidance on areas that can help accelerate research that can change outcomes. And this podcast series is focused on one of those objectives, which is identifying the top research priorities that are the key research questions that need to be answered and answered soon if we're going to change change outcomes. And the podcast series has been covering each of those questions in detail to really trying to um, drive into why they're important and how they might be answered. But in this episode, we thought it might be a good idea to get some behind the scenes perspectives on the people who have really been driving the project. And therefore, we're delighted to be joined by by our two guests from AO Spine, Alessia and Kaya. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Ben and Michelle. It's really nice to talk to you both, finally, after all the, the process that we've been through. So I was wondering if you could start by telling us a little bit about your different roles with AO Spine. Well, I'm going to start. I'm a project manager responsible for the research activities of the AOSpine Knowledge Forum Spinal Cord Injury and the Knowledge Forum Trauma. Uh, Maybe to clarify, the Knowledge Forums are expert-driven groups, basically focusing on research in different spine pathologies. And so far, AOSpine has five Knowledge Forums. So we have knowledge from tumor, we have deformity, degenerative disease, and the groups I manage focus on spinal cord injury and trauma. I'm also a project manager. Uh, I work in the AO Spine Community Development Team, and I do a lot of our communications and content, including what we used to call scientific marketing. And for this, I liaise really closely with the AO Spine education and research people like Olesia, for example, about our different communication strategies. But I actually started with AOSpine in the research team, and I think this has, it's really made me understand the importance of research for all that we do in AO and how research is really the key to improving patient care. 
You know, Michelle, so as much as we miss Kaya in our research team, I think it's important to mention uh, as the community development manager. So Kaya is such an important link between like research, education, and also delivering the right message to, to the community. So for me, she's a skeleton member and really a key to project success within EOSPINE. I really think that's very important because I think one of the problems with research is sort of presenting it, isn't it, to the outside world and making sure that you're sort of speaking to the right people with the right language and making sure that everything that's being done is being understood correctly. Well, you know, 90% of project management is basically communication. And just to clarify, Claire, who is the AO Spine community today? What, what, what is the audience that you're, you're, you're in principle reaching? Well, we've got internal and external audiences. Of course, internally, we talk to AO Spine staff, we talk to AO Spine members, we talk to the surgeon community, which today covers like 70,000 uh, orthopedic and neurosurgeons around the world. We've got 6,500 members. And then, of course, especially now with the record, we've been trying to make strides to uh, reach outside of that existing community. So, yeah, there's many different levels where we try to reach audiences. And of course, as Michelle said, it's important to tailor always the message to, to the audience. So it's a challenge, but it's super interesting. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to pick up on our next question, because I think speaking of that audience, I cannot um, uh, give enough thanks to AO Spine for coming on board with something like that, because this network has really what's been able to make this project possible alongside obviously the, the financial investment that they've made. But why why do you both think that AO Spine was attracted to support something like AO Spine Recode DCM when it was trying to get off the ground? Before we dig into AO Spine deeper, I actually wanted to say something about the AO Foundation and and its origins just go back a little bit because since the beginning of, of everything, like over 60 years ago, AO always focused on promoting excellence in patient care in trauma and musculoskeletal disorders. And well, without going into too much detail there, the, the founders at the time, they realized that there were no standards in treating fractures. So a lot of people were left disabled after accidents, which of course was a huge detriment to their lives. So they went on to develop these uh, systems of care and document cases, and they wanted to give patients their function back which was not a given at that time. And this was only 60 years ago. And these guys, they really did change care. They made patients' lives better. And they were innovators of their time. And I think they were driven with the kind of spirit and passion that still drives many startup innovators today. And I think the recode kind of fits into, into this scheme really well. Yeah, I think... Um I agree with you. It's really uh, important to mention AO Foundation because they really revolutionized the orthopedic uh, field as we know it today. And I, I really, I can only encourage our or your listeners to learn more, more about the motivation of uh, establishing the AO Foundation because it's really nicely demonstrates uh, what a small group of people can achieve uh, if they truly believe in their idea, you know, and have a strong visions. Like for me, it's kind of a message for our lives, you know, never give up. And I think uh, I was definitely impressed. And for me, it shows that no goal can be too ambitious. And why I'm telling you this, because I think... Uh, 
uh, that's what we are actually trying to achieve with the RICO DCM project, because there is no sufficient research evidence in the field of degenerative cervical myelopathy. And we really are just at the beginning of changing or like improving the healthcare journey for people living with this condition. Or like on the other hand, giving researchers and clinicians the right tools to do something ab about the lack of evidence in DCM. So what you've really illustrated there is that you know this new project with the you know, recode dcm really sort of fits in with the ethos of the ao foundation really and, and what they were trying to do right from the beginning absolutely i mean I, i'd like to refer to the ao as the organization that has all the ingredients we need to tackle the knowledge to action cycle to to make research turn it in, into reality which basically gives you the framework to to transfer knowledge uh, into practice and change patient care with this. And this has always been our main goal. So, I mean, at AO, we've got the research to create the knowledge. We've got the global networks. We've got the events that bring people together. We've got the training and the education in place. We've got support for innovators and creators. I think we've got the full recipe and we've shown before that we can do it on a global level. Yeah, and I think in EO Spine, it's important to mention that uh, we have the knowledge forms, right? We'll, we'll bring a lot of the, that new knowledge through these uh, studies, and they are there to uh, fill the knowledge gaps in their pathology, uh, even though the research portfolio from different knowledge forms differ. But with uh, EO Spine Recode DCM, I, I remember like the day we started to discuss the, the new project ideas, and one of them was Recode DCM. So, and they really believe that this project can really fill an important gap. Yes. And like you say, you've really got sort of the toolbox there to be able to do that. Um, so I was wondering, have either of you had any experience of undertaking projects like this before? Funny you asked. For me, it was such a nice coincidence. Uh, before I came to, to AO, I actually planned and executed a similar project for the Musculoskeletal Oncology Research Program at the University of Calgary. It was similar in that means that uh, we also engaged multiple stakeholders. We worked together with metastatic bone disease patients, orthopedic surgeons. You know, we had other healthcare professionals to define together the future of the research program for this kind of field. But I, in comparison to Recode, I don't think we had this kind of global reach like we have with Recode. Yeah, and I, I would say that it's not that we've never did anything like this before because it's always been about the patients and the best possible care for them. But uh, maybe this time when all the stakeholders sat at the research meeting table as equal partners, maybe the direct access gave them a different perspective and the assurance that we are doing the right thing. Yeah, and I think that was one thing that has really stood out to me as being a really lovely aspect of this project, that like you say, all of those stakeholders sat there as equal partners. That's so nice and doesn't often happen. So, you know, I think you can all be commended on that because that, that is, you know, a really lovely sort of achievement that you, you've had with this project. I, I just want to pick up on that point because I, I didn't really anticipate that we were building a community here. You know, I, when I sort of put this project together, I was thinking very much of the deliverables, what we we're going to produce. And I think actually the, 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 the most important output of this has been that international multi-stakeholder community. I think that really is going to be the, the catalyst for, for change beyond all else, that advocacy group. And, 
and I think it's it's been it's been amazing. And I think it has certainly been a part and parcel of regular meetings, different perspectives, having a really frank and detailed discussion about something that everyone cares about, and it's really it's really brought that group together. Ben, but remember how everything started. I think the Recode project nicely showcased the power of the community. Like we started to reach out like first to like regional officers because Eospine is divided in different regions. Then we started to reach out to some surgeons we think would be interested in uh, to raise awareness about the study initially. And really at the beginning, it was like important for us to get the word out, get kind of a global reach, but I never anticipate this kind of impact. And then people got more and more interested in this study. So we started to have global partners who basically represented us somewhere in the world. And our recode steering community expanded uh, to other healthcare professionals. I don't I don't know if you recall, but we were in a meeting and then someone said, you know, we need nurses or we need family practitioners. And then our community expanded. And then, of course, with, um, it really helped that uh, the principal investigators of this project, Mark and Ben, were the founders of Milopathy.org, which was really instrumental for engaging people with lived experience to this project. And I want to hear knowledge Ewan Sadler. He's living with this condition, and really he was instrumental for advocating this project to the Milopathy.org community. So it's it's really a global effort and a really amazing community i totally agree i didn't anticipate that was what we were building it is growing and i think it's going to be the most impactful part of the whole the whole initiative really well we are not done yet (laughs) we've had a number of the members of the community obviously contributing to the podcast series and i think they just echo that just the chance to be involved for people to listen to them it's just been incredible not only has it built this community uh, where they've been able to talk to people that have the same lived experience as them that they don't feel on their own but also the important people in their in their minds surgeons that are in in charge of their therapy and, and looking after them they're listening to them listening to their experience i think that has really come out as being such a valuable deliverable of this project and, and just to pick up on that and evidence you know and they've changed their opinions you know i think the prime example is the the top research priority which is raising awareness and that didn't really feature on the the surgical or healthcare professional agenda and it, and it came through by by listening to those perspectives and recognizing that really is underpinning everything so i think that that sort of recognition that everyone is contributing as a real team effort has been something that supported the whole thing along and helped it to grow so Kaya and Alessia, what has been the reception of AO Spine to this process and the project at large? I think both AO Spine and the whole AO Foundation have embraced this study really wholeheartedly. And we've got special mentions from our leaders at the Davos courses, opening speeches. People keep constantly asking about Recode. What's going on? Can we talk about Recode? Could we do something with Recode in this context? So much so that some of the other important studies may not have received the recognition they they should have. But um, I'd actually like to mention here the knowledge translation piece because I, I think it's important to understand why everybody is so much so aware of this and what we're doing. Because I can remember when Olesia was running the project and she was planning the consensus meeting for New York. And then we started to discuss over, I don't know, my double espresso and Olesia drinking her endless healthy green tea, how we, how we should go about informing 
AO Spine, AO Foundation, our community and everybody about the project, we, we very quickly realized that we would need a completely different game plan for this, a different strategy, because uh, it was going to be a whole new ball came compared to any other studies we'd done before. Kaya, it was actually Halberti, <laughs> but I, I remember that day too. <laughs> And yeah, I think KT is very important and uh, was a, kind of the integrant uh, uh, for the success um, to this project. And um, I, I remember this when we really planned this consensus meeting and we realized like we, we need something different and also needed a strong knowledge translation plan to successfully implement the research priorities. So And that's when we actually brought in uh, the help of uh, Lisa Peterman from Canada. And oh my God, she's so fantastic and knowledgeable. And it was um, um, just instrumental in helping us develop like a really key strategy and be successful as we are now. And I think you would agree with me saying that we are successful so far. Yeah. And, and I mean, apropos Canada, uh, I, I think you went to the right address because looking at the scene, it seems they're way ahead of the rest of the world in this knowledge translation, maybe maybe together with Australia and the UK. But um, Yeah, I, I would just echo that, Kai, because when she sat us down in that room and she sort of showed us the science behind all this, it's there is a lot of work going on, isn't there, about trying to how you understand this message. And I I just echo that importance of this because there was that there's that article that she references that you know, um, there's some examples of some findings that don't get into practice for 17 years. I mean, that's just a lifetime for people who want, you know, knowledge to be generated and then to change change their care. And I think that is certainly the knowledge translation part is something that has, has been totally new to me during this process, but I recognize now is, is crucial. And I sort of see Rico DCM in terms of a scientific study, if you like, we, the, the bit that we've done so far is almost like the methods and the results are going to be coming when we can get this information out there. And therefore that, that KT strategy is the, the fundamental step. You know, Ben, um, as someone who received training and worked in Canada for like uh, over 10 years, I have to say that in Canada, many granting agencies, they basically don't issue funding anymore without a proper knowledge translation plan. So before you actually start any research projects, you need to really demonstrate that you ask the people living with this condition, like, what do they think? Do they really think this research question matters to them and will make a difference? And then another important aspect of KT is you need to demonstrate a plan how you, you want to implement your findings. And I think this is the key like with the knowledge translation because people really start thinking about the strategy of implementation and then recognize all the barriers they might face with this project. And of course, then they have the opportunity to address them early on in their project. So I think... Research is really the easy part. KT is really it's really challenging. I totally agree. And I'll just give my personal perspective. I think I realize now that the implementation has to begin at the same time as you're conceiving the research. It, 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 it builds in parallel. And absolutely, in the UK, we have the same boxes to complete about what is your KT strategy. But I'm not sure people pay enough attention to it or it gets a high enough recognition in, in the review process. And certainly when you're putting you know money down for that section you, you know there's not great interest in in, in being um, tremendously well funded for that kt part but it does cost a lot of time you know not just time but a lot of resources to do this well and, I, and i'm again grateful to ao for their considerable contributions here um but i think 
researchers need to recognize this is a crucial part and it is it's a crucial part to be funded as well as part of their research projects. And I think also, you know, coming from the perspective of the charity, you know, and I'm obviously always thinking from the perspective of people um, living with DCM, you know, you see this project, Recode DCM, and getting these top 10 as the sort of end result. You sort of think, yes, you know, there we go. We've got the manifesto of what needs to be done to change my life. And actually, as you then go through it and pick it apart, you realize that it's just like you said, Ben, just the very first bit. You know, there it is. That's what needs to be done. And now the really hard work starts of doing that research. And like you're saying, you know, translating that and, and guess, you know, making an effective change in, in healthcare. And even at the point when you do the research for those 10 important questions, you still need to get the results of those studies out into the world. And I think those it's the, it's the same barriers with raising awareness of the condition and raising awareness of the studies and the results. You, you need to find the right people and you need to, I mean, if you need to raise awareness amongst the decision makers or the payers, whoever, you need to get the ones who can make a difference to back back you. So you have to get the influences, even the voters, the general public behind you, the, the lot. And for that, you have to show them why it's important to them, why it should matter to you, how can it affect your life, or I don't know, where you can save, save a few dollars, or not a few, I'm, we're talking about a lot of dollars here. But uh, you have to really get close up and personal to to make a change. but And I, I think Recode is actually doing exactly that and they're doing it well. So we've sort of been talking around this topic of knowledge transfer. So I'm assuming that's one of the next steps that um, will, you will face with the project. But what are the others that you are going to be coming up? What are the important sort of ongoing um, projects that you're going to be working on for this? Well, I think um, the EOSPINE Recode DCM study, you know, as initially planned with the initial proposed scope will be done towards the end of uh, 2021. And so we have identified the top 10 research priorities. We recently established a minimum data set. Uh, you know, we ran international voting on the index term and currently finalizing the definition for the DCM. And by the way, maybe interesting to know the community voted for degenerative cervical myelopathy as the official name for this condition. And we, we offered them uh, several op options, but... Uh, It was a consensus to use uh, degenerative cervical myelopathy, which is really important because now different stakeholders can start to talk the same language. So in this project, in the Recode DCM, uh, as initially proposed, we have one more milestones we need to accomplish. And um, while this will be done towards end of 2021, you are right, uh, Michelle, the knowledge translation aspect is like just at the beginning And that's basic, that's actually why we launched the EOSPINE Recode DCM Ambassadors Program. And this is now where our community will now take the lead and step up to the challenge and try to find the answers or address the, the priority research question. And from our side, I think EOSPINE will continue to evaluate how we can better support this ambitious goal. And we are still in the discussion if we can take on one of the research questions ourselves within the knowledge from spinal cord injury. But um, I think the future direction of Recode is still open and it's really up to us to, or like up to knowledge from spinal cord injury to decide 
what to do next. And I, I know that uh, they are planning to have a big discussion around this uh, topic early January. So stay tuned. Yeah, I'll just pick up on that. Because I think, you know, what we've got here is the first, in this disease anyway, first international multi-stakeholder community, both professionals and people living with myelopathy. And I think, you know, what can be accomplished with that community is potentially endless. And it's just a question of, you know, trying to get ourselves organized now and and going forward with it beyond just the KT. And, you know, I think personally, I probably need a holiday before I start driving any more of those processes because these are incredibly labor intensive, despite the incredible help from people like Alessia and, and Kaya. But, you know, I think there is great opportunities with that with that community to move forward. So, Alessia, our researcher Liz told us that the Recode DCM study was one of your favorites. I was wondering if you could tell us why. Well, for me, the most favorite aspect of project management is really, um, you know, the first thing you do is stakeholder identification and engagement. And this project really shows the power of the community. And all the work we did on this project was an amazing group effort. And it's just incredible to work with so many bright minds. And as Ben said, you know, we can go on with this community. We can achieve so many things with this community. It's just really organizing ourselves and uh, keep focusing on the important aspects. So I think, Ben, from my perspective, it was really nice to hear a little bit more about um, sort of how the project has functioned from a management point of view and to hear their excitement about being involved. Yeah, they've been incredible assets to this project. You know, it wouldn't have been possible without all of them. And, um, you know, I think I really must thank again AO Spine for choosing to back this project. You know, I think, as Kaya mentions, that network of surgeons, that relationship between the research, the education it has all the ingredients that we really need to make a massive difference in DCM. And we keep coming back to this topic of raising awareness, don't we? I mean, Kaya was talking about it herself, about sort of making sure that we're using the correct language to present, you know, the findings that we've had and then subsequent findings to that that are done through the research, you know, sort of presenting those to, to the people that are important. And it sort of comes back always to this same topic, doesn't it? Raising awareness, communication, clarity, um, and getting the information out there to the people that need to hear it. I think that that is so true. I mean, I the beginning of this process, you know, I was coming at it probably from a very, very science angle. What scientific questions do we need? But what's emerged from this is really the key part of making a big difference here is just finding a way to more effectively communicate. And, you know, hopefully this podcast series has been part of that process, you know, communicating the messages of these top research priorities. So I think what comes across from talking to Alessia and, and Kaya is that the AOSPI and RICO DCM project hasn't yet finished. There is an important legacy part now, which is how we get those findings communicated to ensure that the outcomes are used, that those research priorities are answered. And this is a really important part of any research project we refer to as knowledge translation and something I discuss in particular with our next guest, Lisa Peterman, who's principally a facilitator, but taken on a number of different roles in project management and has a special interest in knowledge translation. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks very much, Ben. So I wanted to start by asking you and asking you to introduce the term and concept of knowledge translation and why it's so important. Yeah, so knowledge translation as a discipline sort of emerged a couple of decades ago um, with Canada and, and the United States leading the way. And 
in Canada, the Canadian Institute for Health Research has defined it really as an active process that includes synthesis, dissemination, exchange, and implementation or the application of knowledge to improve the health of all individuals. So if we really boil that away, it's purposeful interactions amongst knowledge producers and knowledge users. So could you give us some practical examples, perhaps, just to contextualize that in a, in a real-life scenario? Yeah, so if you're in a project and, and you've completed all your research and you need to be able to tell people um, you know, what you've discovered in order to trigger new research or new lines of inquiry, or you want to change clinical practice or you want to change patient behavior, um, then you can disseminate your work through a number of vehicles, whether that's um, you know, a conference presentation, whether it's developing new patient resources, uh, or whether it's um, creating a policy brief to shift practice or guidelines. So those are all practical examples of dissemination. Uh, we can talk a little bit later, if you like, about exchange and implementation. They're, they're sort of much more complex than dissemination. Um, but that, that's, a, in a nutshell, what some practical examples would look like. But at a higher level, what, what this really boils down to is that this is a potential major barrier between knowledge discovery and being able to use that knowledge to change outcomes. That's the gap that you're trying to fill. Is that right? Yeah. And when you when you look at it, there's been some great research done to indicate that on average, it takes somewhere between 14 and 17 years for a researched concept to be fully executed in practice. So if you think about the things that you know from research that become best practice, that's a very, very long trajectory during which, um, you know, patients are receiving, you know, potentially harmful care, things that we've disproven in research is no longer effective um, or they're um, sort of an inefficient use of healthcare resources, which in our economically constrained environment is becoming increasingly important. Uh, so those, those are all sort of the reasons that knowledge translation emerged as a discipline. So I think those are some of the facts that, that really cut through to me, Lisa, was that idea that, you know, people could wait 14 plus years to benefit from, from a research discovery, which is really a lifetime in, in, in many scenarios. A hundred percent. That's a, a true frustration, um, mostly for people with lived experience, um, but also researchers who have undertaken, you know, an investigative platform that can genuinely change how healthcare is delivered, how patients experience treatment, and and it's not going anywhere. Um, but fortunately, you know, KT emerged, you know, several decades ago now, and has a prescribed platform for really trying to shorten that time. Um, and when integrated knowledge translation, like what happened in the Recode DCM project takes place, then we can cut that time significantly. So let's talk about that in a bit more detail then. So you've mentioned um, that sort of planned process and, and, and what's what's your role in that kind of development process then? And perhaps we can use the, the AO Spine Recode DCM project as an example. Yeah, so um, AO's Vine, the Recode DCM project, took a, undertook an integrated approach. So um, having people living with DCM, with uh, researchers and clinicians, all actively working together to prioritize um, the top 10 research priorities, as well as the core outcome measures. Now, 
Recode undertook um, the James Lind Alliance, which is sort of a very prescribed methodology. It's been validated. It's well accepted. Um, and that that's really integrated knowledge translation where you have those three vested stakeholders in a particular outcome all working together, all coming to consensus on, on the same point. Now the project is sort of moving on from there. And we've sort of had this initial brainstorm around who are the key audiences, the key stakeholders that are involved, uh, having a second meeting to establish criteria around how to triage those stakeholders into phased approaches to move the work forward, and then meeting with all of the stakeholders um, independently, whether that's clinicians, whether that's people with lived experience, whether that's charities, uh, and mobilizing the knowledge that's specific to each target group. So that's the trajectory that the AO's Vine Recode project is on right now. And what was interesting about going through that process is that your role, you know, with that expertise in, in KT, but also the facilitator, was that actually, you know, that the project members were actually generating that process and that plan of action. You were there more in a, in, in a, in a sort of advisory role rather than telling people how it should be done so much. Well, yeah, I mean, KT professionals are very seldom a stage on the stage. They're often more a guide on the side um, and really helping the groups arrive at their own truth and their own consensus uh, through the process. And, and that way, then it, there's better buy-in, there's greater adoption, there's better uptake of, of the points and the knowledge that people are looking at. That's interesting. And, that, and that's what from the community that you're facilitating or indeed their, you know, their intended audiences as well? Both, um, because ultimately they can be one in the same. So you can't obviously have every stakeholder with a vested interest in your project design group, but you can have individuals from each of those stakeholder groups who can provide that perspective and that breadth of knowledge and to make it more relevant um, as an output. And so then when you approach people from that same stakeholder group later on, um, the the ability of them to sort of digest and, and understand and see the relevance of what's taking place is greater. Oh, fascinating. Um, and I think one of the other things that was quite interesting learning through this process, and we, we pick it up again with, with Kyra and Alessia in the, uh, in the interview before this, is that actually communication has become an absolute integral part of the whole of Recode. You know, it emerged as a as a research priority in your own right, if you like that, raising awareness. Um, and I just wonder whether there's lessons that we can take from that KT science that can help us with that communication strategy now in, in, in the particular example, that research priority raising awareness. I think that's a fair point, Ben. Um, you know, there was an expression that emerged in the mental health space in the early days of knowledge translation, um, nothing about us without us. And, you know, that sort of carries through for, for all stakeholder groups. It's also important that the language level of the work that's happening is appropriate for each group. So clinicians have their own way of communicating. Researchers have their own language that they use in investigating um, the, the queries and the outstanding gaps in knowledge. And likewise, people with lived experience have their, their own way of describing things. And spending the time as a collective project to develop a shared language that can be used to talk about these things is one of the, the key elements you'll probably face when you're looking at raising awareness. That's really interesting because you, what you're saying there is that if everyone is saying the same thing in the same way, it's going to be louder, isn't it? It's going to try, it's going to have a better chance of cutting through. Yes. And there's a lot of clutter in the world today. So um, you do need a targeted, well-honed message that hits the target that's ready, ready for impact, basically. Brilliant. 
Brilliant. And I, I'm going to put you on the on the spot a bit, Lisa, but I guess, you know, you've, you've been involved in lots of different projects and, and they all often show you different things in different ways. Is there any unique experiences that you you found with the Aospine project or something different that it's shown you that you haven't appreciated before? I think one of the most interesting things about working with the Recode project is the level of collaboration that it has been required to really understand the experience of living with DCM, identify those priorities that can combat it, and and then move it forward. So when you look at things, for example, then like um, cancer prevention, which is where I've spent a large chunk of my career, I mean, cancer is 200 separate diseases, right? Um, Recode is is very focused on on DCM, but the presentation of DCM is very broad and people experience it in very different ways. Um, also with cancer, you know, there's there's fewer professionals that are involved in the treatment and, and care um, than there are with DCM has been a real exposure to me. So that increases the complexity of, of your project in particular. Um, so th- those are some of the, the things that really stood out to me when I started working um, with it. I expected it to be quite quite simple compared to my background because it was one very specific thing um, compared to 200 separate um, presentations of, of a disease. And, and it certainly wasn't that at all. That's really interesting. I mean, it, it's certainly been a challenge to engage quite a diverse um audience of people and, and stakeholders but I, I am hoping going forward that that becomes an asset for us because you know the more people we have potentially talking about this potentially that's going to going to help raise the profile but as you say you know more more um well, the expression in the uk would be i guess um too many cooks spoil the broth but if you it gets more difficult perhaps if more people involved but i guess there comes opportunities as well a hundred percent there are opportunities, especially if you're cognizant of the challenge, work within it and attempt to leverage what you have uh, as a complexity, as an asset. So final question, Lisa, and I think this is for somebody or anybody who's listening who's who's new to KT and they're perhaps a researcher looking at some of these research priorities. What would be your advice to them as they're starting their research projects how do they get into KT? How do they give it some thought? You know, at what point should they be thinking about it? There are very few people out there who are not doing KT, but there are a lot of people who are not aware they're doing it. So if you remember back, our definition for KT is synthesis, dissemination, exchange, and implementation. So those first two are very common in the research space. So synthesis, for example, most people, most researchers undertake synthesis of some kind before they start a project. They look at the information that already exists, the prior research projects in that area, um, anything around the literature review, um, pulling all of that information together is very common in the research space. So that that's one of four aspects. So I give them hope that they are active in that space. The, the second point is around um, dissemination. And um, Ben, just taking you as an example, um, have you ever presented a conference or hosted a webinar? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so without knowing it, you've been involved in KT, right? So if I could ask, why, why did you present at a conference? To share my findings, I suppose. And what did you hope to achieve by doing that? Well, there's some personal recognition, I suppose, in the work that you've achieved and ultimately trying to share those findings for, for, for the greater benefit and progress. Mm-hmm. 
And that is the root of why dissemination exists, those types of things. I would tell people, don't underestimate the importance of what appeals to people personally. So knowledge translation integrates some of the concepts from change management around looking at the desire people have to do things, whether that's you want them to do something different, you want them to continue doing what they're currently doing. But synthesis and dissemination will be familiar hallmarks to most researchers. When they are ready to sort of embrace exchange and implementation, the more complicated end of knowledge translation, then what I'd say to them is plan early, be prepared to be iterative. It's not a start and stop. There's many waves. Be prepared for uh, opinions that don't resonate or don't agree with their own. Uh, be open to understanding how those fit into their into their greater work and enjoy it. I mean, KT is, is tons of fun. You get to meet with all kinds of different people, all of whom are typically passionate about something that you're passionate about, just in a different way. I'm quite proud of you guys, Ben, for taking on KT, right? Like, it's, it's, it's not easy. Um, it's a big investment, both up front and all the way through the project, and it's more time-consuming. But you guys prioritized it. You know, you didn't just want to do your research and then be done with it. You know, you, you really are legitimately trying to change people's lives who are living with DCM. And, you know, I just, I think that's so important and I'm so, so happy to have been involved with you guys and with the project. So thank you for the opportunity. I think having been involved in the podcast series, you sort of get the impression, oh, okay, you know, we've come to the end now, we're done. But actually, you know, now the hard work really begins. And I found the discussion about the knowledge transfer part really interesting in that respect. You know, it seems like this first big chunk is done. We've got that manifesto of what needs to be followed up on and, and how we need to excite the field. But now the real hard work begins. No, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. But I think it's it's got a lot of good people involved. Of course, we are sad to be losing one important part of that um, onward journey. And I have to inform our listeners, unfortunately, that Michelle's time with, with myelopathy.org is, is coming to an end with this episode. Yes, it's been fantastic. I've learned a huge amount. Um, I think really the sort of cross section of the community that we've spoken to has been fantastic. And it's been something that I have spoken to um, the person taking over from me um, and sort of advised her to really listen to this because from an educational perspective, um, it's fantastic. You really get to hear, you know, what the most important sort of issues are and how they impact on all the people involved, all the stakeholders from, you know, the people that suffer with it right through to the surgeons that are treating them and, and the researchers trying to help them. It's been a great, great experience. And I'm glad that you've been a part of it and been able to contribute so incredibly to it. But I, I do know that you're not, not lost to myelopathy altogether. You're off to do teaching now. Is that right, Michelle? So hopefully the next generation of scientists is going to be coming through with a, with a thought process of myelopathy. And I will make sure that everybody studying biology knows exactly what the condition is. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much again from everyone in the community and, and further afield for all of your help, efforts and time, etc., to to making a difference here. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been great. So I guess at the end of this episode, all that left to be said is thank you very much to our guests, to Alessia Hatsambilla, Kaya Kirkisuonio and Lisa Peterman. The podcast was researched by Elizabeth Roberts and produced by Carl Homer from Cambridge TV. 
There's lots more information about the research priorities in AOSpine Recode DCM on the project website, aospine.org forward slash recode. Thank you for listening. Ben will be back in the new year with more Mylopathy Matters. So to make sure you don't miss it, why not subscribe via your favorite podcast app? And until then, goodbye. Fun invasion. Bye-bye. I'll be out soon. We'll be out soon.